Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Revelation. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. The last few weeks, we have been focusing on the interlude between the blowing of the sixth trumpet and the blowing of the seventh trumpet. God stops, puts a parenthesis there of chapter 10 and part of chapter 11, explaining some events and helping to encourage the people of God before there will be the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Beginning today, though, in verse 15 of chapter 11, there is the blowing of the seventh trumpet which ushers in the final acts of God as far as reclaiming this world, redemption of this world, the establishment of Jesus Christ as Lord and God over this world once again. And so these are some exciting announcements. Here in just a few verses of chapter 11, he's going to summarize what else will happen in verses in chapters 12 through 22. So get in your mind... Put a star right here by verse 15 of chapter 11. That this is a synopsis, a summary of what is going to happen in chapters 12 through 22. All of what happens in 12 through 22 is an expansion, a greater illustration of what he says is going to happen in the blowing of the seventh trumpet. So listen to what it says here beginning in verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, talking about sounded that trumpet, and there arose loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who art and who was, because thou hast taken thy great power and hast begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and and thy wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to give their reward to thy bondservants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to those who fear thy name the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and on earth a great hailstorm. Please leave your Bibles open as we focus on this blowing of the seventh trumpet. Lord, We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to see, Lord, what you reveal is going to be happening at the end of time. We pray that it would both be an encouragement to believers and to challenge us to allow you to rule and reign in our hearts, as well as a call to anyone who would be here or who would be listening by television or online or wherever they might hear this message. There'd be a call on their heart to be saved if they've never been saved. And Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified and honored in the study of your word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Verse 15 says the seventh angel sounded. And whenever that seventh angel blew that trumpet, it says that there arose loud voices. I want you to circle those words, voices. There arose loud voices in heaven saying and announcing something. Now, the reason I want you to circle that is because nowhere else in the word of God does it say voices like that. We've heard where John said, a voice called from me out of heaven. A voice gave me instruction. We've read many times where it says a mighty angel spoke or the voice of an angel spoke. But here's the first time that it says out of heaven, there are loud voices proclaiming what's about to be proclaimed. And what that's a picture of is that the announcement that's about to happen is so very, very important that all the heavenly host and everyone who's gathered there wants to participate in this announcement. They want to be part of shouting out and telling what God is going to do and what is going to take place at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. They're just excited about that. They cannot hold back. Not one voice, but many voices joining in in celebration, in celebration of what is being announced at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. It's kind of like yesterday. There was a lot of people gathered at a lot of football games, weren't there? And when they were gathered there and somebody scores a touchdown, man, there's a roar. There's a roar and loud, loud noise. Everybody participating in that roar. Well, that's going to be nothing compared to the roar that comes out of heaven. Amen? Because everything in the heavenly host is going to participate And this most important announcement that is taking place at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. What is that announcement? Here it is in verse 15. Here it is. Look. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Now stop right there. He makes a distinction between two things. There's the kingdom of the world, and that kingdom is now, or this world is going to eventually be the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. Now stop for just a minute and think with me. Whenever God created this world, it was His, amen? And everything about it was perfect. All of creation was perfect. It was holy and set apart unto God. Mankind, Adam and Eve, they were perfect, set apart unto God. And that's the way it was supposed to be. But something happened in that garden. And what was that? The old serpent came and deceived Eve and then deceived Adam. And they partook of the forbidden fruit, the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, what God had foretold came to be that they would die, that death came into their life. And not only did death come into their life, but also sin entered into the realm of this world. You have to get the picture of how sin took over and old Satan becomes the God of this world. How did he have dominion? How did he get that kind of authority? How does Satan have the opportunity to rule in this world? Because man was given that dominion. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. And God gave dominion over this world to man. And whenever old Satan deceived him and stole it from him, the dominion that man had, now Satan had taken away, and he has dominion over this world. And sin enters into this world 
and it becomes what is called the kingdom of this world. Not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of this world. It happened there at the garden. But I want you to see how in the New Testament, in God's word, it reveals that this world is no longer under the control of God or of us. It's under the control of somebody else. Turn in 2 Corinthians. There in your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. This is what Paul says about this world. He says, I'm going to begin in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, this is what I want you to underline. In whose case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul defines somebody as the God of this, what? Of this world. And who is the God of this world? Oh, Satan. See, he became the God of this world. He became the ruler over this world. Let me show you a very interesting passage. Turn back to Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 4. Actually, here in Luke 4 is where Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Remember that? And one of the temptations that Satan gave towards Jesus was this. He said in verse 5, And Satan led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. Talk about all the kingdoms of the world. For it has been handed over to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. That's Satan. He's talking about that. It was handed over to him by who? By man. And he says, now I have authority to give it to whoever I want to. And if you'll fall down and you'll worship me, I'll let you have the glory of this world. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus resists that temptation. But here's the interesting thing. When Satan said, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. I will give them to you. Jesus does not, does not say he doesn't have that authority. Jesus doesn't resist Satan. Satan, you can't do that. These kingdoms are not of you. He didn't say that. Why? Because they are under his control. They are under his dominion. And therefore, when Jesus hears what he says, Jesus knows he has the authority to do it, but Jesus resists that. Now, an interesting thing you're going to find out later is there is the Antichrist, right? The false Christ who's coming, and he's going to be a ruler over all the kingdoms of the world. And what is he going to do? He's going to take the deal that Jesus passed up. This one's going to take the deal. He's going to bow down and worship Satan. And when he does, all authority of those kingdoms will be under his control and he will be a world ruler, a world ruler. But Jesus didn't say he couldn't do it because Satan has control over this world. Let me show you one other thing. In Romans chapter 8, if you don't have time to get there, just write it down. Romans chapter 8. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 19. 
For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It says that literally creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. Or the creation groans for this time when Jesus will come and redeem it. Because it's been placed under this slavery of sin, not because creation did anything, but because man who was in dominion over creation sinned, and now creation is affected by that sin. One last verse to show you about this matter of the the kingdom of this world. It's in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Listen to what it says. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. What does he say? The world that has sin, full of lust. That world is not the way God intended that world to be, but it is the way the world is now because Satan is in charge and sin rules and reigns and it is the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world. Now go back to Revelation chapter 11. That's the kingdom that we live in. From the fall of man till right now, we live in the kingdom of the world. Do you have to read much or watch much news to find out that sin is rampant everywhere? Amen? (laughs) I mean, sin affects everything. We are a fallen people. We're a fallen world. And this kingdom of the world has sorrow and pain and agony. But listen to what they announced. Back there in verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And he shall rule forever and ever. That's the announcement. The announcement that everybody's been waiting for. The announcement of when is Jesus coming to make all things right. That is the announcement. The blowing of the seventh trumpet is going to usher in the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ in full measure. In full measure, he's going to rule And he's going to reign. Now, what I mean by in full measure? Well, Jesus already has won many victories. Amen? Jesus already has pronounced himself as king of kings and lord of lords. But we're waiting for that ultimate redemption. Now, what I mean that Jesus has already won the victories. Let's talk about that. Write these things down. Give you some events. First of all, the first victory that Jesus won was when he came here, born of Mary, of the Holy Seed. He lived for 33 years on this earth, never committed one sin. He lived a sinless life, even though tempted by Satan and all the demons of hell. Every moment he could be tempted, he was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. And for 33 years, he lived a perfect life and he defeated the enemy. He never succumbed to that temptation and he became and revealed himself as the perfect lamb of God. Victory one, amen? 
Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'll help you all a little bit. All right. Second victory. He goes to the cross. He goes to the cross. Oh, Satan nails him to the cross. He can't defeat him, so he says, I'll just kill him. But Satan doesn't know that he's working in the plan of God because that's God's plan. That Jesus, as the perfect Lamb of God, would have to die on a cross, pay the price for sin, and he paid the price whereby you and I and all of creation could be redeemed. Amen? Amen. That's wonderful. That's glorious. Number three, he did not stay in that grave. Three days later, he came forth from that grave, pronouncing himself as victorious over sin, Satan, and death, and that he was Lord of lords and King of kings. He took back the keys of the kingdom. He has pronounced himself victorious, and Satan knows that his time is short. Number four, in that time since the resurrection till right now, The church of the living God is supposed to be pronouncing the power of our Christ. Why? Because his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, lives in me. And old Satan has no authority over me. And I'm supposed to be living as the church of God, you as the church of God, in the power of God, tearing down the walls, tearing down and setting the captives free. We're supposed to be Jesus here today pronouncing the victory of the kingdom. Amen? But then five, finally, ultimately, there's going to be the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And when the blowing of the seventh trumpet takes place, it's the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come, and he, it says in verse 15, and he, the Lord, and his Christ will reign. He's going to come and rule and reign. He's going to come and he's going to take charge. And when he takes charge, it's for how long? Forever and ever. There will never be a time that we will succumb to sin. There will never be a time when old Satan has a victory again. There will never be a time because he will rule forever and forever. What an announcement. And bless God, I want to be a part of that. Amen? I want to be a part of that announcement. You know why? Because I believe I'm one of those 24, represented by one of those 24 elders. Amen? I want to be in glory. And when God says it's time to announce, it's going to be my voice along with all the other voices that's going to be saying, bless God, the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ forever and ever. Well... Look what happens here in verse 16. It's where you are. You better hope you are. That's what it says. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God. Who are those 24 elders? Let's do a test. Who are the 24 elders? They're the redeemed. They're the redeemed. They're the redeemed of the Old Testament era, the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the redeemed of the New Testament era, who's the church, the 12 apostles, right? The church has been raptured by this time and we're in glory. We're there as represented by the 24 elders. We're in glory. And we're watching what God's doing and we're watching what's taking place on the earth. And whenever this announcement comes and we've announced it that he is coming to reign, it says the 24 elders 
fell on their faces and worshipped God. They fell on their faces and worshipped God. Now, there's something unique, unique about that. You know what's unique about that? That's the first time that it has one specific thing about how they fell. Let me show you something in a minute. Turn back to Revelation 4. Revelation 4, verse number 10, it tells us about the 24 elders. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne. Do you see that? 24 elders, they did what? They fall down before him who sits on the throne. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Fell down before the Lamb. Now go to this passage back here, chapter 11, verse 16. And the 24 elders on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped him. What's the difference? What's the difference in those three? In two of them, they fell down to worship God. In this one, they fall on their faces. Well, you think there's a difference? A whole big difference. See, you can kneel down. You could bow down. You could fall down. But that's not falling on your face. Whenever you fall down on your face, your face is on the ground. You're prostrate before Almighty God. You're as low as you can possibly get because not talking about how low you are, but how great he is. And with such an announcement, those 24 elders, hold on a second now. Listen, remember, that's us. Amen? I told you, you better get to practicing. (laughs) You might not bow down right here. You might not fall on your face right here. But I'm telling you one day, you're going to fall on your face before Almighty God. All right? And you're going to fall down on your face because of such announcement. That God is finally doing, finally doing what he has promised he will do. They fell down on their faces. Now listen to what they said. It says us, listen. We give thee thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty. It's very important right here. Look in your Bibles. Who art and who wast. Now, if you have the King James Version, and I'm not being critical of King James but it has, it has something added here that is not a part of the original text. All right? What it has here, it says, it says in the original language, who was, or says, right here it says, verse 15, it says, who art and who was. But King James will add, and who will, who is or will to come. That's not in the original text. Matter of fact, when I was reading Crystal's, Crystal's uh, commentary, Crystal said, some scribe just got so excited about what he'd written before, he just adds, and will come. Because it's not there. In the oldest manuscript, it's not there. And that is significant. It's significant. Because of the timing. Every time before this, whenever it's talked about what Jesus will do, let me give you those verses. It's in John, I mean, in Revelation 1.4, Revelation 1.8, In each of those times, it says this, who is, who was, and who is to come. Or, who was, who is, and who is to come. But here it says, who is, and who was, but know who is to come. Why is that important? Because he's not is to come, he's here. 
He's come. You don't talk about the one who's coming when he's here. And he is no longer, no longer praying for his coming. He has shown up. He has arrived. So it says, who art and who wast, because thou hast taken thy great power, listen, and hast begun to reign. You need to circle that word reign. Has begun to reign. Wow, that's important. You know what the, you know what 24 elders said? Boy, all this time, whenever you have been king of kings and lord of lords and you won all the victory and you've done everything at the cross and everything at the resurrection and you are almighty God. All that's true. But now you are going to begin to reign. Makes all the difference in the world. Let me remind you of an Old Testament story. The first king of Israel was who? King Saul. King Saul started out as a good man, but he sinned against God. And God told him, if you don't obey me, then I'm going to take back my anointing from you. And he sins against God again. And because God said that he's going to take back his anointing, God sent the prophet to go to Jesse's house to anoint a young boy, a young shepherd, who was going to be the next king. What was his name? David. David was, about, David was about 12 to 15 years old whenever he was visited his house and visited by the prophet. And the anointing spirit of God fell on him. Listen now. From that day on in the sight of God, David was king. You understand that? From that day on, it wasn't Saul who was king. It was David who was king in the sight of God. But who was the one who was reigning as king? Old Saul. Saul reigned as king for another 15 to 18 years. David did not become king till he was 30. So if he was 15 when he was, a, when he was anointed, it's 15 years. If he was 12 when he's anointed, it's 18 years. However, that period of time, there's that period of time whenever he is the real king, but he's not reigning, right? But old Saul's reigning, and Saul's evil. And Saul recognizes in David that he has an anointing on his life that he once had. And he realizes that God has chosen David to be the king, and Saul sets out as his sole purpose to kill David. That's all he does. He's wanting to kill David, kill David, so that his lineage will continue. He never is successful, but that's his only purpose in life is to get rid of David. Finally, Saul and Jonathan and his sons all get killed. And David becomes the king, all right? David becomes the king. And when David finally becomes king... He begins to reign. He's been king for 15 to 18 years, right? But not until he begins to reign does he bless Israel. And Israel wins victory after victory and they become wealthy and they have power. And David's, uh, he becomes more famous and more wealthy and more honored. He's God's man, God's anointed man at that time. But it didn't make a difference till he began to reign. It was, tw- it was 15 to 18 years that he was king and not reigning. Hold on a second. How long has it been for Jesus? <laughs> Jesus has been king of kings, pronounced as king of kings at the resurrection. He's king of kings. But it's been at least 2,000 years that he hasn't been reigning yet. But bless God, he's coming. <laughs> bless God, he's about to reign. And right there they say, thank you, 
that you have begun to reign. And whenever he reigns, all things will be right. When he reigns, this world will be blessed. When he reigns, it will be a different place. And it's ushered in by the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Now I'm going to share with you an interesting verse of Scripture in verse 18. It's one of the most interesting verses of Scripture in the whole Revelation because in that one verse is the synopsis or the summary of everything else that's going to happen in verses 12, uh, chapters 12 through 22. Hear that? In one verse, it's going to give you a four-point outline of what's about to take place in the blowing of this seventh trumpet. What God is going to do. Those outlined right there in that one verse. That's what it says is going to happen. Verse 18. First thing. And the nations were enraged, and thy wrath came. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of whenever God opens up and pours out the bowls of wrath. And when it pours out the bowls of wrath, this old world, these old nations are going to get so angry, they're going to be angry at God. To the point that they're going to rally. You remember those 200 million soldiers? These worlds are going to come together and they're going to come together and they're going to battle against God. They're going to cross that Euphrates. The demons of hell are going to be fighting. They're going to have the nation so deceived they're going to be enraged and they're going to come and they're going to do battle against God. And that ushers in the battle of Armageddon. And the battle of Armageddon is where God will show and Jesus will show his wrath and he will judge the nations there at the battle of Armageddon. All that is included in chapters 12 through 22. First thing he says, listen, the nations are going to be enraged and thy wrath will come. Here's the second thing. And the time came for the dead to be judged. Another major event that's happening in the book of Revelation is called the white throne judgment. The white throne judgment is when all those who have ever lived, the righteous and the unrighteous, will be brought forth from the grave and they will stand and give an account of themselves before God. The only ones who are set apart from that will be the church, for the church of God will already have gone through its judgment. But every dead person, righteous and unrighteous, will give an account. And for those who are dead... Those who are dead in their sins, they will be judged by God. And they will receive the just recompense for their sin and their ungodliness. But that's only two. Look at the third thing. It says this. And the time to give their reward to thy bondservants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to those who fear thy name, the small and the great. What else is going to happen? Not just God judging the ungodly. He's also going to reward the godly. He, he tells about a new earth and a new heaven he's going to make. It talks about a new Jerusalem where they're going to live. It talks about God pouring rewards out upon those who are his prophets, his saints, and those who fear God. And the very end of the revelation is defining in, in just very uh, descriptive words this glorious reward that God is giving to those who are righteous. That's the third thing. But here's the fourth thing. Look what it says. And to destroy those who destroy the earth. Oh, Satan is called the destroyer of the earth. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, 10? The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. 
That's what Satan came for. And everybody who is lined up with Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the demons of hell, and everybody who chooses to worship and follow Satan and his schemes and the world and to live in this world rather than follow Christ and God, all of those will be destroyed by Jesus. That's going to be a glorious time, my friend. Whenever old Jesus comes, sends an angel down, he binds up Satan and throws him into the abyss. And he's there for a thousand years. He binds up the Antichrist and the false prophet and throws them right in to the midst of hell. After a thousand years, he's going to deal with Satan again, tie him up, cast him into the eternal flame, and all those who have not had their names written in the Lamb's book of life. It says the fourth thing that's going to happen is he will destroy those who are destroyers of the earth. Those four things are the major events that happen at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And and as you read it, you'll just see the outline of it, how it takes place, how it happens. Now, let me give you this final word, because it's a great word of encouragement. Look what it says in verse 19. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was open. Okay? God opens up heaven. He lets John see heaven. And when he sees heaven, he sees there in heaven the temple of God. Now, that's interesting, because there's uh, there's a temple of God in heaven right now, But it says whenever God makes the new heaven, new earth, and the new Jerusalem, there's going to be no temple because God himself is going to be the temple. But right now, there is a temple in heaven. Now, you know there's a temple in heaven already because when God gave David the design to build the temple, he gave him the exact measurements and exact description of what had to be done because what David was building was a replica of what was in heaven. You got it? What Solomon built was a replica of what God said was in heaven. And now we talked to you last week that each one of those temples had been destroyed and right now the temple had been destroyed and there was no temple there. But here's what it says. And he opened up heaven and the temple of God which was in heaven was opened up. And whenever the temple of God was opened up it says, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were some flashes of lightning sounds and peals of thunder and earthquake and great hailstorm. That's the idea that here's this judgment that's coming on all this world. The earthquake and the hailstorms and the thunder and lightning. All this is happening. But God opens up the heavens and he opens up the temple and he lets us focus and John focus on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is there safe and sound and the temple of God. Now you remember the Ark of the Covenant, don't you? The Ark of the Covenant was that precious thing that was in the Holy of Holies. It represented God's presence. It represented God's power. It it, it represented so much about God's promises and His faithfulness to keep the promises. That's why He protected it so much. Listen, you don't have to worry about the Ark of the Covenant. It can take care of itself. You remember in the Old Testament, it could take care of itself. Inside of it, though, were a number of things. The Ten Commandments, which was God's law, and God was faithful to keep His law and would bless those who were the law keepers. Also, there was manna, which was God was faithful to feed His people, evenly, even heavenly food. And Aaron's rod that budded, He was faithful to that one who is called a priest, that he will identify him as priest. He is faithful to keep his promises. And so that Ark of the Covenant represents the promise-keeping God 
who will always do what he says he will do. And in the midst of all this is happening in this world and the chaos that seems to be taking place for God to clean up this world, John sees that Ark of the Covenant there in the temple of God. It's safe and sound. It is secure. And it says the promises of God are true. The promises of God are sure. You can bank on it. You know, the raiders of the lost ark tried to tell us that somebody had it. Amen. Everybody looking for that ark. If you go to Jerusalem today, they will tell you, some will tell you that the Jews think they know where the ark of the covenant is. They think it's underneath the dome of the rock, underneath the ground, some 40 feet in the place where the temple used to be, that that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's not there. It's not there. You know where it is? It's in heaven. How do I know? Because he says it's there. It is in heaven. Some of you look kind of strange. Hold on, Brother Mac. Hold on. If it were here, how could it get to be there? I hope you're not questioning that. Because you are here... And you're hoping to be there. Right? Right? Amen. We already know the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden that God said, guard it so they won't eat of it. We know where it is now. It's in heaven. The tree of life. So God takes care of his stuff. Amen. He took the tree of life up there. And when God was finished with the Ark of the Covenant here... He took it up there. And just so John knows it's, everything's okay, the promise is sure, he opens up the temple and says, there it is, bud. Same God who gave it to you, same God who protected it, same God who promised it is still in charge. And the promises are true. Amen? Pray if you don't know Jesus, you need to give your heart to Jesus today. <laughs> no better day to get saved than today. You certainly want to be one of those who receives the rewards of God rather than the wrath and discipline of God. You want to be there whenever he's passing out those rewards. And you can do that if you know Jesus. You even have it better than that. You get to go for all this stuff takes place. You get to be a part of the 24 elders up there enjoying all this from that perspective. Amen? If you don't know Jesus, you need to give your heart to Jesus today. But one other thing, child of God, listen to me. Remember... That Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and one day he is going to reign. But right now, the church of God is called, and our calling is to let Jesus reign today. He's supposed to be reigning in my heart and your heart. If he reigns in our heart, we make a difference in this world. We shine the life and the love of Jesus in this world. So, are you letting him reign? Are you letting him rule over your heart? If not, Surrender that today. Let him be in charge today in your life. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world.
we can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.